Please join me now in Matthew chapter 6 as today we talk about forgiveness. We've seen it over and over again in the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. He goes to those deep places in our lives and he challenges us there. And today we're going to see that God is commanding us to forgive others. Now this is a challenging teaching for us because when it comes to an area where you need to forgive somebody, this is an area where you've been offended. This is where somebody has wronged you. This is an area of your life where you say, there's pain there, and yet here's a call to forgive in that place. Now, Jesus has already taught us in this sermon that we cannot ever retaliate against someone. We saw that back in chapter 5, verse 39. Remember, Jesus said, when you're wronged, what do you do? You turn the other cheek. But then in chapter 5, verse 44, we saw beyond that that we're even to love and to pray for our enemies, even those who would persecute us. And then now Jesus says, even beyond that, you have to actually forgive those who have wronged you. We saw it first in the model prayer. Remember, Jesus said, pray this way. And among the things he said to pray about is chapter 6, verse 12. Pray this way. Then he said, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he comes to verses 14 and 15, and this is our focal passage for this morning. Notice what Jesus says as he elaborates on this forgiveness. Verse 14, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So forgiveness. We say, how beautiful is forgiveness. And then at the same time, we say, how challenging to forgive others. C.S. Lewis said this, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. I mean, we love the fact that God has forgiven us all this sin, but when we turn to others and think, and I have to forgive them, we balk there. What's the problem with that? Well, Here's the deal. Here's the definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is ceasing to feel resentment for wrongs and offenses to pardon, involving restoration of broken relationships. Hear that definition again. Forgiveness is ceasing to feel resentment for wrongs and offenses to actually pardon somebody. We love that it's been done for us, but we struggle with others because it seems so unfair. Like they've really hurt me. It would be unfair it doesn't even seem like it'd be justice if I were to pardon them. We might say it this way, they don't deserve my forgiveness. Maybe we feel like we're, we're minimizing the pain they've caused to us if we're just going to forgive it. And though Jesus says you're not minimizing it, notice how he describes it in verse 12. He calls these debts. You're going to forgive debts. There's somebody who has a debt toward you. They owe you, and yet Jesus said you're going to forgive them. Verses 14 and 15, he calls these transgressions. What does that word mean? That means a fault or a lapse or an error, a mistake, or indeed a wrongdoing. And sometimes we feel like, no, the wrong that they did to me is just beyond forgiveness. There's nothing they can do. This was so big an offense toward me. There's nothing they can do to ever make it right. And if we've been a Christian a while, we know, well, I can't retaliate, so I can't do that. But this will be a permanent rejection of them in my heart. I have no use for you. I have no confidence in you. We're through. 
I don't want you in my life. I'll make you pay, or at least I'm going to hold this over your head for the rest of your life. But Jesus doesn't allow any of that. And so I want you to notice with me this morning, there's a call to forgiveness. And then secondly, we're going to see there's a cost to unforgiveness. Let's first take on the call. There's a call to forgiveness. Jesus makes this expectation clear that we're to give grace to others. Now, think about it with me. Grace is the atmosphere we swim in as believers in Jesus. In fact, think about it with me. What was your first move when you became a Christian? Your first move when you became a Christian was you confessed your sins to Jesus. You didn't skip that. If you skip that thing, that was never part of how I got saved, then you never got saved. <laughs> you need to get saved today. That's how every Christian who's ever become a Christian starts. I'm a sinner. I need to be rescued. I can't fix this myself. And so think about it. Your first move was acknowledging it. Then what was your next move? Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I come admitting I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against you. Now I need mercy from you. I need you to, cl I need you to cleanse me of my sin. Wash me clean. That, that was your move. You say, I skipped that too. Then you didn't become a Christian. You still need to do that. It starts with humility and an appeal for forgiveness, putting all of your faith in Jesus alone to save you. So every Christian came the same way. We came in filthy rags to the Savior. And we had a massive sin debt against God that we needed relief from. Maybe you've heard the old quote, Jesus came to pay a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And so here we came to Jesus and he forgave us sins and we were so relieved when we trusted in Jesus. But think about it with me, that day you were saved, when you, when you thought about you being a sinner, you were only aware of maybe two or three sins in your life that day, if you're like most people. You thought, yeah, I've got this big sin, that big sin. I am a sinner. I need to be forgiven. And you were sincere with that. But have you not noticed over the years as you've continued to walk with Jesus, as he continues his work of sanctifying you by the Spirit, you become more and more aware of, oh, I was deeply infected with sin in my whole life. Haven't we seen even here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has exposed that we can even do good things with bad motives. Even the good things we did before Christ were tainted by self and pride and all kinds of other things. We needed forgiveness. And here's the good news. We were forgiven this innumerable amount of sins because of our faith in Jesus. And now we're called to turn around and forgive other people in our lives. We see it not just here in the Sermon on the Mount, but in places like Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. Notice this. Let all bitterness, underline that word, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, here it is, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Notice what Paul said. You have to put away all bitterness, and you have to forgive others. And notice the standard, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. In Colossians 3, 12, and 13, the same message. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and then hear it, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. It is a clear expectation of God that forgiven people must be forgiving 
people, our sin nature will say no. But the Holy Spirit says, oh yes, you will. You have to forgive others. And it's challenging because all of us can think of a long list of people that have offended us in our lives. And it starts early in life for us. I can think about an occasion in the fourth grade when I was wronged. And it happened in the class of Miss Chili Bean Chilton. Now that wasn't her real name, but we called her behind her back, Chili Bean Chilton. Here was the first offense. This isn't the one that's on my mind so much, but we called her Chili Bean Chilton because she was one of those teachers that made you eat something from every food group on your tray. That's back when you got all that food just kind of put on your tray back in the old days. (laughs) And particularly as boys, we did not want to eat school beans. I might eat beans at home, that's a might, but I'm certainly not wanting to eat beans at school. That's uncool, we don't want to do it. So some of the boys would take the beans that we knew Miss Chilton was going to say, have a bite of those. They would stuff some in their milk carton so that it looked like some were missing, but these teachers were wise to that. Chili Bean Chilton would come up and say, have some of your milk. And these boys would have chocolate-flavored beans there. So we didn't like her, but she really didn't do anything wrong there, but... The day I have in mind was one day we were going somewhere, and uh, I'm standing in front of her desk. Now, Chili Bean Chilton had a list of Ten Commandments on the wall. They weren't God's Ten Commandments. These are her Ten Commandments, and one of those Ten Commandments was this one. No paper airplanes. No paper airplanes. It was a big deal to her. And I had never planned on transgressing Chili Bean Chilton's law about paper airplanes. Never entered my mind, but it entered my buddy's mind. Mike Edwards, my best friend. So I'm standing there. We're about to line up to go somewhere. I'm standing in front of Miss Chilton's desk, and all of a sudden, this paper airplane's coming my way. I'm a boy. I was bred to catch things thrown at me since birth. And so I catch it. When I catch it, I realize, it's a paper airplane. It's it's against the Ten Commandments. So what do you do? I got it out of my hands as fast as I could. Back to Mike Edwards. Miss Chilton says, Jim Booth, I saw that. I couldn't talk fast enough. And uh, she said, no, come up here. So basically, I was already there. She takes my hand, and she bends it back farther than it goes. She went back, and she took her ruler, as the teachers could do in those days, and she went to town on my hand. Also, as a boy, I couldn't let anybody know it hurt. It hurt terribly, but I kept a fake smile on my face as I endured this terrible injustice that was done to me. Well, I will tell you. I have forgiven my buddy Mike for throwing the paper airplane to me. We ended up rooming in college together in each other's weddings, so no harm there. Miss Chilton, who, who beat me on the hand for that. She was wrong, but of course, I have forgiven her. Now, I wish I could say, you know, and that was the last time anybody ever hurt my feelings, ever wounded me, and I have all forgiven it. But we know that's not the case. You have things that have happened in your life much worse as well. I've been stolen from, have you? Remember as a kid, bikes stolen out of my yard repeatedly and tools stolen from me as an adult. Been gossiped about, been maligned by many on social media and beyond. Been let down and wounded by others, and so have you. And having been your pastor for some time now, I know some of your stories, at least those things that you've shared with me, you've got, you've got real hurts. And if we were to start to compare hurts, some of you, I think, would have hurts that are far far greater than what I've experienced. But again, none of us know everything that all of us have gone through, right? So, but I'm just aware there's a room full of scars here of real things done to you. And yet, we take this teaching of Jesus and we realize I don't have a right to set a limit on the forgiveness that I give to other people. 
I don't get to draw a line and say, well, I can forgive things done to me in the fourth grade by a teacher who didn't really mean any harm. But these things that have been done against me, now that's just not reasonable. I will not forgive something. Some things are just unforgivable. And yet Jesus says, you must forgive those things as well. This is hard on a lot of la layers for us, but one of them is hard for us because we're not used to this. We live in a, in a merciless culture right now, don't we? I mean, we, we talk a cancel culture. If you have a wrong set of views, you don't belong in the culture. Some don't care if you ever work again. But not just that, though, if you make a mistake, if on social media you say something stupid, you say something wrong, something that you regret moments after you do it, it's a merciless culture, you, you, you just don't need to ever work again. I don't know where you're going to get your food from, but, but nobody cares. There's no forgiveness. It's brutal. Here's a reminder that you and I are in a different kingdom. We're in a kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's a kingdom of grace. Now think about it, this kingdom has high standards. Didn't Jesus tell us in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as my Father is perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. So there's the standard, but we all know we fail at that. So once again, we swim in this grace of God, like I need his forgiveness every day. So we're the people set up in a culture where everybody's failing, we know that. We have this high standard that by God's grace we're, we're striving to attain to, oh God, help me to walk the walk today, right? But we fall, we need his grace. So we're the people equipped to turn around to a culture where people are wronging one another and wronging us and go, I can forgive you. I can forgive you. We, we're all about second chances, are we not? We're all about forgiveness when there's repentance. We're about giving grace because we needed grace. We can give it to others. And the Bible's full of examples of people giving extraordinary grace and forgiveness to others. So as we think about the hurts we have and the wrongs and and as we kind of think through, could I actually forgive this wrong that's been done to me or these wrongs done to me? Could I do it? It's helpful to think about not just the commands here, but the examples. One of the great examples of forgiveness in the Bible we find in the Old Testament, Joseph. Think about him. He's sold into slavery by his own family, by his brothers. Can you imagine the hurt of that? And off he goes into Egypt, a strange land, and you remember he's lied about there, he goes into jail. But all this traces back, if my brothers had not sold me into slavery, this horrible injustice, years in jail, and then, of course, by the plan of God, exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. And, and remember when he has that face-to-face -face time with his brothers, and finally when he discloses himself, I'm Joseph, I'm your brother, that you sold into slavery. He doesn't minimize it, you did this. But what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It's a beautiful picture of forgiveness, of something extreme that was done to him. Another great example in the Old Testament is Jacob and Esau. Jacob cheated Esau in some really cruel ways, outsmarted him, cheated him, and then there comes this time when later in life they see each other again. Jacob's scared. Esau has every reason to be mad. We could go to war here, and his people, they have a right to get revenge, and we see even Esau having mercy on his brother. Or how about when Jesus told about our father's forgiveness, telling the, the prodigal son story, and we see a, a father in that story who had every right to say to his son who squandered his inheritance, don't even bother coming back. Oh, yeah, all right, you can be a servant. But Jesus says the father ran to him and embraced him and kissed him and restored him. And we think that's a picture of what our God is like. And so just here with me, there is a call to forgive 
Forgiveness is the dominant theme of the Christian life. We've received forgiveness and we must give it to others. So there's the call to forgive. Now let's consider together the cost of unforgiveness. And we go back to those same two verses and let's hear our Savior again. Verse 14, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So Jesus here presents this teaching on forgiveness in a conditional way. He says, if this, then this. He speaks it positively, and then for emphasis, he repeats it now in the negative. And his point is this, something is seriously off if you're seeking forgiveness from God, but you're unwilling to give forgiveness to other people in your life. Now here comes an important question. Is Jesus saying that you cannot be saved unless you forgive other people? And the answer is a clear no. Jesus is not doing that. Now, how do we know that? Because Jesus would not teach us a work in order to be saved, right? The scripture is very clear. How are you saved? It's by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. And so we can't say, well, I'm going to earn my way to heaven by forgiving people. So it's not that. So it's a different layer of forgiveness that Jesus has in view here. So there are a couple of different types of forgiveness. First of all, there is that salvation type of forgiveness. We could call it judicial forgiveness. When you come to Jesus, you put your faith in him, your sins are washed away. Your debt has been erased. Your record has been expunged. You, you've been, it's been covered by the blood of Jesus. The, the other way the Bible talks about it is you, you are declared righteous in the sight of God because of your faith in Jesus. That is secure. That's not in view here. But there is another type of forgiveness that you and I need regularly from God. It's that parental type of forgiveness. So because of your faith in Jesus, you are now an adopted son or daughter of God, and you need forgiveness from him regularly when you disobey him. Maybe in passive ways, maybe in active ways, you disobey him, you need it. But it's not, it's not to retain salvation, but it is to retain intimacy with him. You're, you're constantly saying, God, I was wrong about that. Would you forgive me? To retain usefulness to him, to retain his blessing. One scholar said it this way, personal fellowship with God is in view in these verses, not salvation from sin. One cannot walk in fellowship with God if he refuses to forgive others. So if you want to be right with God, you must forgive sins of other people, their wrongs against you. Really, this is the point of what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 18. You remember Jesus taught the parable of the unforgiving servant. Maybe this afternoon you'll read it, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Jesus tells about a king who had a servant who owed him an enormous debt. And he called that servant before him and demanded payment. Now listen to how big this debt was. Jesus is telling the parable. He says this servant owed, owed the king 10,000 talents. That's not one of our measures of currency. So what was a talent? A talent in those days was equal to 15 years of wages for a laborer like this servant. But he didn't just owe one talent. He owed 10,000 talents. So if you do the math there, this man had a debt against the king of that would take 150,000 years to pay off. So as Jesus tells the story, like, I want you to hear, this is a crazy debt. This is an impossible debt. One person ran the numbers and said, this might be like $20 million in today's money. Can you imagine owing somebody in your life $20 million and you don't make enough money to ever pay that off in 150,000 years, you couldn't pay that back? A crazy, impossible debt. And yet this, this servant 
pleads with the king for mercy, and the king, as Jesus tells the story, forgave the entire debt. Then promptly turned around to one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, which is 100 days' work, still a big debt, but nothing like the big one he was forgiven, and he starts choking him, you got to pay me back everything. And then the king heard of that and called him back in and says, no, the debt's still there. And Jesus summarized the parable saying this in Matthew 18, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. What's Jesus saying? It's unthinkable that you could be forgiven so much by God that you wouldn't then promptly turn around and forgive other people who've sinned against you in much lesser ways than what he's done. So here's the point. You and I cannot be stingy with the mercy of God. Something is wrong if we are stingy with the grace of God. In fact, Jesus is saying this, you're continuing in sin. You've asked for forgiveness, but you're continuing to be a sinner when you won't forgive other people. This is an ongoing sin in your life for which you need to repent. So knowing Jesus is critical here and makes possible this type of forgiveness that Jesus is calling for here. This week I read and watched a powerful testimony of a woman who has, who has experienced amazing grace from God and has given it to others. It was a Vietnamese woman. When she was nine years old, she was injured in a bomb blast. That napalm on her body burned her arm and her back. In fact, she became world famous. You don't know her name, but it's a, an iconic picture from the Vietnam War of this little girl running from where she was injured to, to soldiers who were giving her water. And in fact, you could Google her this afternoon called Napalm Girl. And uh, she was nine years old when this horrific thing happened to her. And uh, she talks about her story, how tremendous pain, not just that day, but for the years to follow, scar tissue on her body, surgery after surgery. And she talked about the bitterness. The people that did this to her, she just had people like the pilot and the commanders and just the, the fact that this would happen to me. Well, by the grace of God, when she was a teenager, still in Vietnam, in Saigon, in a library, she found a New Testament. And she came to know Jesus as her Savior there in Vietnam. And she said this, she said, after becoming a Christian, I love this, my enemies list became my prayer list. Isn't that beautiful? This is what Jesus does. You experience his forgiveness. She said, my enemies list became my prayer list. She went on to say this, forgiveness set my heart free. So Jesus sets us free from our millions of sins and he sets our hearts free from bitterness where we can turn around and forgive other people for even, even horrible things that have been done to us. So understand, unforgiveness hurts you and your relationship with God. We can even add to that. Unforgiveness is even bad for your physical health. Did you know that? So just doing some extra reading this week on forgiveness, I came upon a Johns Hopkins article. In the very beginning, the article starts this way. Whether it's a simple spat with your spouse or a long-held resentment toward a family member or friend, unresolved conflict can go deeper than you may realize. It may be affecting your physical health. The good news, studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels and sleep, and reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. And research points to an increase in the forgiveness health connection as you age. There's an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointing, says Dr. Karen Swartz. Chronic anger puts you in a fight-or-flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, 
and immune response. Those things then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, leading to improved health. Sounds like a miracle drug, forgiveness. That's Johns Hopkins telling you that. So you might want to ask your doctor if forgiveness is right for you, right? You don't have to ask your doctor. Jesus is telling you this. Listen, unforgiveness is bad for your relationship with God the Father who's forgiven you much. You're not right with him if you're not willing to forgive others. It's bad for your health. Who knew that? And unforgiveness is bad for the people around you. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, the Word of God says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. And then hear this, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Did you catch it? Bitterness described here as a root in a person's life that can spread like an ugly weed that can defile the people around you, the people in your family, the people in your church. And so here's a question. Would people who know you best describe you as a bitter person? Are you the type of person who's always talking about who's offended you today? When you come in the door, you're just kind of in a, in a huff every day. Well, let me tell you who I'm mad at now. You won't believe what happened. Is that you, bitter person? In fact, do you even use the word hate? Do you have like a hate list? Do you talk like that? I, I hate him. I hate her. Is that how you talk? There is a root of bitterness in your heart that God can take away as you repent and ask for it. So what do you do if you're an angry, bitter person? You have to let go of it. You have to give that hurt to God. We're not minimizing it. It's real. But you have to give it to God. You have to choose to forgive the person who has hurt you. You consider how much God has forgiven you, and it puts you in a position, okay, I, I can move in that direction. Now, three questions let's consider as we, as we apply this to ourselves, and we'll do this quickly. First of all, what do you do when someone asks for your forgiveness? This is the best possible scenario. When somebody recognizes that they've hurt you, and they're actually going to come to you owning it and asking forgiveness, what do you do? Well, you must forgive them. Now, maybe you've had this situation, maybe in a marital spat at home or maybe with a friend. The person recognizes at some point in the conversation, oh, yeah, I was wrong. And they say, I, you know what, I'm sorry. And will you forgive me? You ever been in that situation? I'm not ready to forgive yet. you. You said you were sorry too fast. <laughs> My emotions are still up here. And yet, no, your response is, of course, of course I forgive you. And here's the good news. Your emotions will catch up. You don't have to wait on the emotions, of course. You must forgive a person who's sincerely asking of you, and you will give it in the strength of God, and your emotions will catch up. It's a, wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. So, of course, you'll do that. Here's a second question. What do you do when someone asks for forgiveness for a repeated offense? Here they go again, and now they're asking forgiveness all over again. What do you do? Jesus answered this question. Peter asked it. Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So if we do strict math there, 490 times that you would forgive somebody for the same offense. But of course, Jesus isn't giving strict math here. He's just saying unlimited let me ask you this. How many of you have come back to God for forgiveness for the same sin again? 
seven times? <laughs> Sadly, sometimes thousands of times. And you think, God, could you be so merciful that you would forgive me again for this? And his mercy is limitless. Aren't you glad? And then this one, what do you do when someone wrongs you but doesn't ask forgiveness? This is the toughest one. And this can happen. Maybe it was something that they did to you a long, long time ago. You, you, you don't even know where they are. You've never seen them since. But, but it's a wrong that they'll never ask forgiveness for. Maybe that person's no longer living, this person who deeply wounded you. There's no even hope of having some kind of healing conversation. The other person maybe doesn't even know they offended you. Maybe for them it was nothing, just what they do. And you've carried a wound all these years. Maybe they have a hard heart and they're around, but you know the type of person they are. They're, they're never going to humble themselves and admit they were wrong. There are people like that, plenty of them. Or how about this? What if it's an evil person who they're glad they hurt you and they're not sorry? What, what do you do there? You can choose to forgive them. In fact, we must forgive them, but you forgive them a little differently. It's not like, well, I'm going to forgive them and they're coming over for Thanksgiving this week. You're, you're basically releasing this to God. This was a very real wrong, and this person is an unsafe person still. But I, I'm going to forgive this. You, you might pray something like this. God, I forgive them. You've forgiven me far more than this. I cannot continue to carry this anger and ill will, so I release all of this to you. You are just. You can handle that person. And I'm just taking this off my plate. This is all yours. I forgive them. I'm not going to carry this in me any longer. It's all yours. I have released it to you. In fact, if you do that, I would advise you might write that down that you did it because likely there'll be the temptation to come back and bring it back and hold it again. And you'll remind yourself, no, it was on this day that I actually gave that over to God. I forgave it. I released it. It's in the hands of God, his capable hands. I have let it go. The good news is God can help us to forgive like that. The other good news is this. God's given you a church family. And so I can't possibly speak to all the unique pains that you might be carrying. I can just give you what Jesus said, but I've been trusting all week that this moment God would help you to apply this in the unique circumstances and pains that you've suffered. But here's good news. You have brothers and sisters. And so maybe it is, you know, I know I have to forgive this person for this horrible thing that was done to me, but I need, I need to confide in somebody and, and ask for their prayer as I do this and continue this walk. And so you can do that. It's the beauty of life groups where you can pull aside with it. If you're a guy, pull aside one of the guys. Or if you're a lady, get one of the other ladies and say, I, I have been hurt. I've never told, maybe you've never told anybody that. Or very few know that. You can invite somebody in to help you as, you as you forgive and release this to somebody else. It's another chance for me to remind you of our counseling ministry, smrbccounseling at gmail.com. And you might want to have a confidential conversation with somebody this week. Here's what happened to me. Maybe it was abuse, an actual crime done against you and you're trying to sort out what would forgiveness even look like here I know I have to release it to God but what does that even look like and and I, I would advise you to do that you can you can email me you can email our counseling ministry somebody in your life group but talk to somebody if you have a situation like that and th then finally this giving grace and forgiveness is an opportunity for us to point people to Jesus it was our first year living overseas and Joy and I met a lady by the name of Habiba Habiba lived on our street, a nice lady, a school teacher, and school teachers there in Central Asia where we lived made very, very, very little money. She had just come through a very expensive time in her family's life. Her son had just gotten married, and in that culture, that was a big financial burden for the son to get married, and so all their money just depleted. And now, as it worked out, her new daughter-in-law is having a birthday, and there are social obligations there in that culture. It's got to be a gift of a certain type, and she didn't have any money. 
And she had only known us a little time at that point, and she asked us for a loan. And as I recall, it was around $100 was what she needed. And Joy and I said, yeah, we can do it. And our only fear at that time was, well, well, these other folks around us, well, they think we're a place to come get money. That was our only concern. We weren't worried about the money. We actually knew we'll probably never see this money again because there's just no way on her income she could ever get ahead and pay back this money. So it's no big deal. We just hope the neighborhood wouldn't find out that we're a place to get money. Well, that never, that never materialized, thankfully. And, uh, but Habiba was promising us, I will pay you back on this certain date. And that date came and went. And again, not surprised at all, not bothering us. And the problem was Habiba then started to avoid us. When we'd be on the street, uh, we'd see her at a distance. Oh, good, we can say hi to Habiba. But Habiba would duck in somewhere else. And this went on for weeks. I mean, early on with that, Joy and I said, we need to forgive the dad. We've got to tell her we, we don't need it back. But we couldn't see her to tell her she would be gone. And finally, we saw her in a place where she couldn't get away. Habiba, hey, that, that money... It's forgiven. We use the word, it's, it's forgiven. We use the word, it's a gift. Oh, I wish you could have been there to see her just dissolve in tears. Just so relieved to have that huge weight to her. Small money for us, huge weight for her off of her. Oh, I hope for her a picture of God's grace and forgiveness, that God can take that type of weight off of you and give you sweet relief from that forgiveness. Listen, we get a chance to do that. We, we get to have the role of Jesus in somebody's life when we say, I, I will forgive you. Consider it done. It's, it's over. No longer held over your heads. So here it is. Thanksgiving week. Weird Thanksgiving. Lots of disappointment, but oh, could you still be grateful? And here's the thing. Top of the list of things for which to be grateful. You have a God who has forgiven you of all of your sins. In fact, I hope that's something you can give thanks for. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, do that today. It will be the sweetest Thanksgiving you ever had, no matter who is or isn't around the table, to know Jesus, to know He's your Savior, to know you'll be with Him forever in paradise, not because you were so good, but because Jesus rescued you on the cross where He spilled His blood for you. That's how much He loved you and was raised from the dead. All be His. Be forgiven today. Let's pray together.